it's great to gather on Sundays. Uh, as you know, we've been going through a short series uh, called God With Us. And, um, and we're kind of continuing on. If you pay attention to the Advent season, uh, the, the way that the days usually work, the first one uh, we had was hope. And when you start going through the Advent calendar, the first Sunday is hope leading up to uh, leading up to Christmas. And then the second one after that is, uh, is peace. And so we've talked about the hope of God with us, even from the book of Genesis and what that meant for us, that God is, God is with us and he hasn't left us. And the hope of Christ coming, the Messiah, to be born, not just to be born, but to live and to live so that he could also die and then die so that he could rise again so that we could have a, a wonderful, intimate relationship with Jesus, not just in a temple, but that, he, that we could be the temple and what that meant for us. The, the second Sunday when we went through that, it uh, talked a lot about the, the peace of God. That was last Sunday. We talked about his peace and the, the endurance of what it means for him to be the Prince of Peace in our, in our lives. And so then from there forward, we are moving into the next one, which is joy. This Sunday is, is the joy remembrance in the Advent season, and so we, we get to remember the joy that has been set before us, and so what I want to do is I want to go through, uh, we've been in Isaiah and Matthew kind of talking about the, the prophecy that Isaiah gave forth about God being with us and what Emmanuel meant, so let's go to Isaiah chapter 7, uh, verse 14, and we'll read this, <coughs> therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. In Matthew chapter 1, uh, we're going to be in, uh, I believe it's verse 20, right? Yeah, verse 20 says, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. And so today we're talking about the joy that has been set before us. And Christ coming and, and the expectation that we have. How joy isn't just the immediacy of the moment, but joy is in, in the expectation of what could happen. Happiness and joy are, are two different things. They, they share some relation together. There's some overlap there, but, but they're also very different from one another. And that happiness is, is the state uh, the, or the consequence of a circumstance. Happiness, again, I'll, I'll say it again. Happiness is a consequence of the circumstance. And so you can be happy because something happened, right? Whenever you were little, you were happy because when you went to the dentist, they gave you a lollipop at the end and you were excited about that. You weren't excited about, you weren't happy when they were going through and looking at your teeth. That wasn't ha the happy moment. But the happy moment came afterward when you got the lollipop. That was happiness. It wasn't, again, you weren't happy whenever you were going through the, the checkup or anything like that. It's always really weird and awkward. But then afterwards, you got a lollipop. So now I'm happy. I wasn't happy before, but now I'm happy. Joy is not based on circumstance. Joy is based in the hope that you have that will actually push through circumstance. You see that, that James chapter 1, I didn't put this on here, so don't worry. James chapter 1, he tells us to consider it pure joy, 
when you encounter various trials. So that, again, lets us know that there's a big difference between joy and happiness because you don't talk about happiness in the midst of trial. I'm not happy that I'm going through trials right now, right? I'm not happy that I'm, ha I'm having to go through this learning curve to, to, to figure out what I've been doing wrong. I'm not happy when I'm met with confrontation, right? That doesn't make me happy whenever someone tells me that I'm doing something incorrectly. It doesn't make me happy. Circumstance does not drive joy. But the process knowing that, that just like if, if you were building something, it's not the joy of, of hitting your finger with a hammer because you accidentally slipped. That doesn't provide joy. The joy is in, in the, the hope that the project will be done and that it will be done in a way that you're, uh, that you're excited about, that you can take some ownership in, that you're, you're, you're pleased with the outcome. The, the joy is that I will get through all of this, even though I whacked my finger, that hurt really bad. I know that the outcome from all of this will be much better than just a sore thumb. And so joy is based in the hope of what we can have solidified. And so we're going to look at a story in, in the book of Luke, chapter 1. Uh, I, love, I love going through, through Luke's expression of, of the, the birth of Christ and the events that lead up to it. It's a really, really great passage of scripture. If you're looking for a great representation to read at home with your family, this is a great one to be able to go through and, and catch a lot of context. It's a very long chapter. I, I won't try to belabor us by, by going through the entire chapter, but we'll see. <laughs> um, but there's a lot, of, a lot of dialogue that we see between uh, a few key figures leading up to Christ's birth. And we'll start here in verse 1. Uh, it says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. I'm just so thankful for Theophilus, that there was a Theophilus around that Luke felt like he needed to deliver a message to dictate what the events of Christ's life look like. I'm thankful for Theophilus this, this morning. You may have never even thought of the man Theophilus, but in reading this, I just became thankful for this man's life that uh, that Luke thought it important to be able to deliver this letter to him, to, to give this account of the gospel of Christ to him. And so in verse 5, it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judah, uh, Judea, he, uh, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abisha, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of, Abraham, or of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But... They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. This strikes me interesting if you do some comparison between a few different stories. And that there's another uh, a couple that we see in Scripture who were quite older, had no kids, but would have liked to have had kids. Abraham and Sarah. And they were both given a gift that would prepare the way for nations to be impacted through their lineage. And so we see that also Zechariah was a priest. 
It is one who would, who would offer up worship to the Lord and serve in the, in the Lord's temple. And Elizabeth, being a, a descendant of Aaron, showed a lot of importance because that means that she came from a priestly lineage. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Verse 8 says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. If you're unfamiliar with the way that they would do this in the temple, they would gather together the priests who were called upon to serve in, uh, in that day, and, and they would actually draw straws to figure out who would be the one that would go and burn incense in the presence of the Lord. And so that was the way that they dictated. It wasn't a hierarchy that they placed. It was literally by straws. Whoever drew the either the long or the short straw, I can't remember at this point in time which one it was, but whoever drew the correct one, they would go in and bam, they would serve in the, in the Lord's uh, court in the middle of that. And so... Um, Verse 10, he says, in the time, and when the time for the burning incense came, all assembled worshipers were praying outside. Verse 11, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. This is interesting. I, if you think about, again, the nature of joy, joy is not circumstantial. It is something that has hope throughout its, its process, and so it said that he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, because, for, for, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. So his joy can be found in his son, not just in the fact that he's an older man, and that he will have a son, but the fact that he will be great in the sight of the Lord. His expectation for his life was going to be such that he knew that the outcome of his, of his coming into this earth was because the Lord had a plan specifically for that child. There was going to be something spectacular that comes through that lineage, something spectacular that happens in the preparation. And then he goes through a process. I'm not going to go through a lot of the. Um, actually, let's yeah, let's read. Um, he will never take uh, he's never to take wine or fermented drink and will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. That's wild to me. And he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered why 
he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple for the, where he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When the time of his service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel sent, uh, went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled in, at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor, favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I'm going to read that part again. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I'm going to pause right here for, for a minute. There's a few things that I think are really important for us to look, look into here. One is the contrast between the two visitations that we've seen so far. You see, one with, with Zechariah, he, he was an older man was in an, a seemingly impossible situation where he was, they were unable to have children. He was, by random, from what it could seem for our eyes, randomly chosen to draw the straw and to go into the, the Lord's temple to, to participate in the incense, giving of incense. And then coming inside there, he saw an angel was there. When the angel was there, he was fearful. I mean, I can imagine. You, you come up in that place. You were the only person who drew the straw, so you were the only person supposed to be in that location. They were very particular about that, and there is some very particular instructions about those who are able to be in the presence of the Lord and offer incense. And so with him being in there, it terrified him. Because first off, who are you? I'm, I'm supposed to be here. You're, you do not have the straw. The straw's in my pocket. That was my job. And then secondly... I can imagine the presence in that place was incredible. And so it drew fear. Anytime you see that an angel was present and, and communicated with someone in scripture, it was not just a very lighthearted kind of environment. The presence of God was so strong as they, they were visited by that angelic being that it caused them to fall on their knees and to be terrified. I saw this many different times. And so he was terrified in that moment and Gabriel told him not to be afraid. And then he gave him some incredible news that they were going to have 
a child, and he was going to be a joy because he was going to be one who was, was, was seen by the Lord and given great assignment. The favor of God was going to be on his life. What a, what a great decree to get from an angel about a child that you were trying to have and wanted to have for such a long time. However, his response was one of doubt and disbelief. And so his mouth was shut. His mouth actually doesn't open until later on in, in Luke chapter 1 when finally John was born and they asked what the child's name was going to be and, and they asked his wife and, and they were like, is it going to be named after his father? And she was like, no, he will not. And they turned to him like, what the heck, dude? Like, isn't he going to be named after you? And he waved no and he wrote down John. And as soon as he wrote the name John and showed it, his mouth was opened up and he was able to speak. And it was astonishing for everyone as he wrote down in belief that this is truly what the angel Gabriel told me to do and told me would happen. And so in this, I'm going to obey the word of the Lord and I'm going to name him John. And so as he walked in obedience in that moment, it came in agreement with the word that was given. His mouth was then opened up and it, he, he, he could speak. And then he gives a great rejoicing word right after that. Mary's response was a little bit different. Of course, the angel Gabriel comes and again, perplexed and caught back that this angelic figure was standing in front. He said, do not be afraid, you who are, who are favored. Gives her this incredibly bizarre word that she was going to, as a virgin, give birth to a son without having had the marital ties. That's super weird. And then he tells them how he, he tells her how this is going to happen. And, and then he gives her a, a, a specific type of a surety. That no word from God will ever fail. And then from that, Mary's response was not one in doubt, but one in complete belief that I am your servant. Let your word that was spoken be done. Let it be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Zechariah had the, the benefit of, of looking back through the scripture over for many years as he was an older man. He was a priest. He was one who would, who would go and serve on a regular basis. Knowing what scripture said and, and as being a, a great priest is you have to be very knowledgeable in the word and knowing the history of the people. And he had a grand history that he could draw from and pull from. One that was incredible, impactful. They would talk about it every single year as they would go through the festivals and feasts of the, the works of the Lord and the descendants. And of course, they're descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they would go on and on and on about that. I mean, the very first that they typically would go through in a lot of these things is they would say that he is the God of Abraham as the first person that they would mention. Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. So they were very familiar with the story of Abraham and what happened in his life. And an angel comes and visits Zechariah and instead of him recalling the good news that he knew from the scripture of what God is capable of doing and how he is able to use those who say yes to him, and when God's word comes forth, it's going to be done. And if you are in disagreement with him, 
then the Lord will still find a way for his word to prosper. But yet he had disbelief. He was in the presence of God in a place where no one else was able to be at in that very moment, and an angel was there delivering straight from the throne of heaven. And he had doubt. Mary, who was just minding her own business, was visited by this same messenger. And her response was this, I am your servant. I am your servant. Let your word be fulfilled. When the angel was speaking to Mary, he said, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Ooh, I love this part. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we went through the basis, the beginning of the process of Adam and Eve in the garden and what this looked like for God to dwell with us, to be with us, and how there are many representations. And if we look at, at David's life, David desired to build, right? He desired to build a place after he was seated in the throne. He said, I'm sitting here in a house of cedar, and yet the presence of the Lord is dwelling in this tent. You remember that? He desired to build a place for him, and then the prophet Dan was like, dude, yeah, go for it. The Lord is with you. I mean, your history with God is just incredible, and if you desire it, I'm sure the Lord is there with you for it. <coughs> However, when he went back to sleep, the prophet Dan had a, uh, Nathan, excuse me, thank you. The prophet Nathan had, had a dream that recalled the Lord delivering a message saying, ah, it is not going to be David who builds a place. I've never required any of the leaders from Israel's history to build a place. I've been content going from one place to another in this tent. It has not been my desire to have a massive place built. Otherwise, I would have told them that's what I wanted to do. But he said that it will be your descendant. It will be it will be a son of yours that will do this. Again, we saw that Solomon, absolutely, through the blueprint that was given to David from the Lord, that Solomon built a temple, but it was unsuccessful in the sense that man was still corrupted. The temple was beautiful, constructed based on every single detail that the Lord gave. The temple was perfect in its construction. Great. The Lord even anointed through the Holy Spirit specific uh, builders to construct the temple. Fantastic. I mean, an incredible facility. People gave riches and all types of materials so that this temple could be built. Incredible. And so the temple and its construction was wonderful, but man was still corrupted. Sin was still causing barriers between God and man. And so there was a need There was a need for that intimacy to be restored. And so after the years of idolatry, the temple was destroyed, ransacked. People of Israel were taken into captivity. The, the men were drew. They, they were taken away as, as slaves to the Babylonians. It was horrible, horrible time. So we see that 
that word from Nathan to David, it, it did come to pass, but it was momentary. Only momentary. It did not last in the same way that you would think that a temple for the Lord would last. However, we see that the angel Gabriel gives a very specific directive to Mary about what was going to happen. He said, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. He gives two specific parallels on how Christ would be remembered. Son of the Most High, Son of David. Catch that. Son of the Most High in that he is the Son of God. Son of David in that he is fulfilling the prophecy set. Son of David in the sense that he will be one who is after the heart of, of his father. Son of David in fulfilling the promise of having a permanent place for God to dwell would be through him. Through the temple that was going to be set through the motion of Christ coming and being here. God with us. Emmanuel. God with us. And so we see that there is joy in this process. Say, what is the joy? The joy is that if we remember the from the story from the very beginning, again, the Bible is not just a compilation of many books and different voices, although it is, but it's a specific story that has been set in motion, a specific narrative that we can see that it, it starts at the beginning and it goes all the way through and it's consistent and relevant all the way through Scripture to the very end. That no word from God will ever fail. No word, no word from God will ever fail. And so even though man felled when they were in the garden, when they listened to another voice, hearkened to it, and they fell prey to the desires of their own flesh to, to do what they wanted to do in their own eyes instead of follow after what God had, they, that God still wanted them to dwell with him. He still wanted a place to dwell with those people. And in the midst of that, he created and crafted a plan that was to liberate us from the, the penalty of sin. Romans tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in, in Christ Jesus. And so the, the Christ that came, the Jesus Christ that was here on earth is the one who is the hope of the world, the one that joy is found in because he was the one that was set in motion into that place. The plan that was set to give us that, that opportunity to be a place, to be a dwelling place, a tabernacle, living sacrifice for the Lord has been given to us because of Jesus. And so in this holiday season, as we're, as we're looking through and, and, and enjoying the, the benefits of, of just having all the Christmassy things around, having some time off to spend with family, being able to gather with others and at tables and, and do all these great things that we get at the, the midst of this Christmas, this Christmas season, we cannot forget the joy that is actually meant for this, this time, that we get to remember that Jesus was born, the true gift realized in the flesh the book of john says that in the beginning was the word and the word was god and the word was with god that in the beginning jesus jesus knew and was ready 
and that we have the opportunity with God dwelling with us now to see all of the representation of God's preparation in the Old Testament leading up to the moment of the new covenant that was going to be set by Christ. That it cannot be, that, he, that it's a beautiful thing that, that God gave us the opportunity to see that we cannot do things on our own accord. I cannot create salvation on my own. The law was given, the perfect law sent down from heaven, that the Lord gave us the, 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 the framework of what it looks like to live perfectly. However, we still could not uphold it on our own. We could not do those things on our own. And so we, we were able to be given experientially through Scripture that we cannot solidify our own salvation. We cannot make a way on our own. We needed a mediator. We needed one who could give us the grace and the mercy and the, uh, the ability to see these things through. And God, in his, his rich mercy and loving kindness, he sent Christ. And he embodied the perfection of the law here on earth and then was put to death because people were so nervous about the perfection that was laid in front of them because they had their own version of standard that they wanted to live by. And so they put perfection to death. And in his death, he fulfilled the resurrection life that gives us the opportunity now to have freedom in him in covenant with Christ, knowing that I cannot do this on my own. If I try this on my own, I will fail. I will falter, I will flounder. However, in him, I find my rest. In him, I can actually have joy, knowing that whenever I am confronted by circumstance, when I'm confronted by things that, that make me uncomfortable and nervous, that he is the one that sees me through as I lean in on him. That truly, that whenever I am weak, he doesn't then just inject me with Holy Spirit strength, and now I'm super strong. In my weakness, I see and know that he is the one that's strong. Because I am never strong enough in the first place to withstand the brunt of temptation and sin outside of Christ. I have to submit myself as one who is weak to the one who is strong. And in his strength, I now overcome because it is in him that I have freedom. In him I have liberty. In him I have joy. In him there's justice. In him there's truth. In him there's life. And so knowing that the gift that was given is one that we can say yes to. And when we say yes to him, we will find that liberty is on the back end of that. True liberty. And I love that in verse 39, we see that at the time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the country of Judea. And when she entered Zechariah's home and was greeted and greeted Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting and the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is your child, is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, my baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promise to her. I love that in her womb, the baby leapt for joy. 
leapt for joy of the expectation to meet the Savior face to face. The one who would be the, the true rabbi for all people. Give opportunity for, for all people to become disciples, not just a select few. The joy that he had, even before seeing him, the joy that he had even before seeing him was the expectation enough for him to leap inside of his mother's womb for joy. How many of you have actually seen Jesus, his face? You've seen his face. You've sat with him physically. I don't know many people who have physically had that experience. It's very unique if someone has. But I could have joy in my heart and leap for joy right now. Even before seeing him in his fullness and his glory. Because I know what he has done for me, what he's doing in me, and what he will do for me. I don't have to see him to believe him. But I can see his effects on my life as I surrender and submit myself to him. In James, he says, submit yourself, therefore, to God, and then resist the devil and he will flee. It is in my submission to him first that I find resistance to the plan of the enemy because I will not try to do this, the resistance on my own. When I resist on my own, I fall and in, in, in fail because my patience and my endurance for the, the weightiness of what sin will try to push against you, it will sooner or later, even though you may feel like you're strong for moments, it will sooner or later wear you out and you will succumb to the temptation because we are not strong enough to withhold and withstand against the power of the enemy on our own. Our flesh desires sin. However, when we are in Christ, we submit ourselves to him, not trying to wonder what all bad things can I not do today? How can I honor God today? We shift our perspective from how can I push against the weightiness of the enemy? How can I combat? Do I have to punch him in the face this time? What kind of darts are coming at me right now that I need to be aware of and, and, and move around? I'm not so concerned with what the enemy's strategies are against me. Because I'm too weak to, to stand across and to fight against him my own self anyways. Instead of wondering how I can combat the plans of the enemy... I need to be focused on how can I surrender myself even in a, in a more full way today to Christ? How can I do these things to where in every breath that I have, with every breath, I honor him? With every thought that comes to my mind, I'm attentive to it, knowing that if this is something that doesn't honor him, I need to rid myself of it. I need to ask him to fill my mind with things that please and honor him. That if I'm not looking at scripture and I'm not going through, I need to do that so that it's alive within me. It's, it's something that, that moves through me and it, and, it, and it gives me excitement and growth and development because that is the thing that is on the forefront of my mind. I will consistently be disappointed if I lean on my own understanding. I will consistently be let down by people because my expectation is too much upon them and what they can do for me instead of how I can develop in Christ. That also gives you strength to stand up whenever you feel like you're being pushed back against. 
because your value is not set in other people's words and terminology for who you are. Your value is actually set in the one whose words do not fall void. Your identity is in the one who has a complete plan for your life. And it's not to harm you. It's actually to prosper you. It's important for us in this season of holiday celebration that we remember that joy is not just set in decorations. Joy is not a feeling that we're supposed to just have. In the presence of the angel, both Mary and Zechariah were afraid. They were both afraid. Gabriel's message was one of joy and expectation. You may be in a position right now where you're fearful of, of something that's, that's coming up ahead. Maybe there's uh, specific people that you're going to have to be meeting up with. We, <coughs> excuse me, we talked about this a little bit with the Thanksgiving season. Is we gather around tables with many different people. You, you get to have conversations maybe with people that you don't see as often as you may want to have. Maybe you're, you're approaching some things at the end of the year with your job, or maybe there's some coworkers or some things that are going on there. Maybe it's within your immediate family that you're, you're going through some struggle or some contention. There's maybe there's uh, something that is, that is just unknown to you, that you're approaching a season of, unknown, of unknowing what is up next. There could be fear there, but don't let the feeling of fear be the thing that overwhelms and destroys your joy. The joy that's set before us. The joy in knowing what he has done. Let's not make the same, the same mistake that Zechariah did. And knowing the history of, of God's track record, whenever he says something is going to be done, that it is actually done. Let us not forget those things. Let us take the heart posture of Mary. That even though the angel was there before her, said she was, she was curious as to why he was there in that place. And when he gave her the word and said that God's word will not turn void, it will actually be fulfilled. And she said, I am your servant. Let the words that you have spoken be fulfilled. She was agreeing to something that's, that's uh, right now we're like, okay, cool. We read that, that chapter. It's just in one chapter, both Mary and Elizabeth become pregnant. And in that chapter, John the Baptist is born. And then in the following, we see that Jesus is born. You could read that in 15 minutes. That's like a whole 12, 14 months that passes by of their lives. But Elizabeth had to sit in the, in the curiosity that people had that she was an old lady who was pregnant. Her husband also couldn't say a word. In, in the midst of all their pregnancy. Even before she became pregnant, he couldn't speak. What a bizarre family. And then now, her niece, claiming to be a virgin, is pregnant? Are you kidding me right now? You guys are all whacked, bro. This is crazy. They sat in the midst of that within their family dynamic. 
for a year and a half. The side eyes that Mary probably had. No, I'm still a virgin. Sure. <laughs> I know how that works. You're what? Okay. Sure. For nine months, she experienced that. Joseph, wanting to be an honorable man, he said that he, he was going to divorce her quietly. So that shame would not be brought upon her. She wouldn't be stoned. He was a man of justice, but also a man of mercy. So I think it's a beautiful combination that he, he wanted the right thing to be done, but also didn't want her to suffer in the same way that some people would have had to. Because that would have meant that she cheated on him, that she had intercourse before they were married, because he was not the one who was responsible for the baby. And so we see that there's tension in the midst of that pregnancy. There's tension in the midst of this. There's misunderstanding. There's, there's the inability to see, in the, to see what was actually happening in, the, in their midst that was also occurring. And so this is not just a joyous occasion. Oh, my gosh, pregnant. Woo, two people pregnant. Yay, wonderful. Holiday season celebration. Bring out the gifts. No, there could be a lot of shame that's attached. Even though you know the truth, there could still be shame attached on top of that because of people's misunderstanding of what was happening. And so do not let the enemy rob you of your joy. Knowing what is going on currently in your life is something that the Lord is cultivating in you to become more and more like him. Transformation is not always easy. You see a, 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 a potter maneuvering around the clay, shaping and forming, sometimes having to start over because it just didn't end up the same way that he, he wanted it to. The process that it takes to mold and to bend and to shift could be long, could be frustrating, could be uncomfortable. However, he's a good potter. He's a good shepherd. And in him, I lack nothing. In him, there's fullness and joy. In him, there's peace. In him, there's restoration. In him, there's life. And life to the fullest. And so in this Advent season, when we look at the representation of a couple of these individuals, we, we have the opportunity to, to be just like Zachariah. I'm full of disbelief and in the middle of the miracle, still can't speak because of the consequence of the actions of disbelief in the middle of it. Whereas Mary, when she gave her yes to the Lord and met up with her cousin, they were both able to. We, you read further on, um, Mary gives a beautiful song. It's a song of praise to the Lord. Her mouth is open, not just in order to speak, but to sing praises to the Lord because of the good blessing that she was able to, to carry the Savior of the world. We, too, today carry the Savior. Not in the same way. Thank the Lord. Men cannot be pregnant. Okay, uh, not in the same way that Mary carried, but we carry him as the temple of the Holy Spirit now. 
as he is the God who dwells among us. God with us. Emmanuel. We have the same opportunity to say yes. Let your will be done. Let your word will not turn void. Your word will be, will be true and it will come to pass. Because this is who you are as our God. I'll end with this. I was talking to a couple of the, I think it was John and Bryson on Wednesday night. We were, they were looking at the, the four banners around and they were asking about like, what, where, where are these in scripture? And you can find these in a couple different places within scripture. But uh, I love Dr. Michael Heiser. He mentions that because these are the four living creatures that circle around the throne of heaven. And as the, el- el- the elders are throwing their crowns down and as everyone's singing out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You look and see that there's some familiar representations in ancient belief. And if you look at Egypt and Babylon, you see that certain of these animals and representatives were elevated as gods in in their own religious belief. They worship the ox. You see that Pharaoh many times or the or the leader, like Nebuchadnezzar, they would uh, erect structures to call themselves gods in their own places. They had like the eye of Horus or Osiris. He had these flying creatures that would come across seeing all things. Had the lions that would be brought out even to the place to where they would torture people with lions because they believed them to be superior in many ways. And it's interesting that the prophets would see the images of these four creatures circling around heaven's throne, worshiping and honoring, can't do anything else except for sing out how holy God is. That the most mighty of all the different ancient societies the most mighty gods that they could come up with and and worship. They were represented in the throne room as being ones who worship the true God of the universe. The king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. That any other religion, they could submit themselves to these beings, quote unquote, however, they were still inferior to Yahweh. And we have the wonderful privilege of having an intimate relationship with God as his temple, as he dwells with us. And so what greater thing that we could do (coughs) than honor him with everything that we do by giving him our yes, like Mary said, let your will be done in my life as you have spoken it. That we would be his dwelling place, truly. And then when we find ourselves in a moment of lack, we would stop and think, I've been doing this a lot. Anytime I feel myself kind of off kiltered, anytime I feel like my mind is drifting into, into areas and places that are not helpful for me, whether if it's um, uh, negatively speaking, uh, talking down to myself, even if it's trying to go back into old habits or behaviors, I stop and think, I'm lacking right now. I have a perception of lack in my mind. Where is it that Jesus is actually at in the midst of this? And how do I not lack in him in this area of my life? And it's amazing how that will transform your thought process. 
truly how Paul says, take every thought captive. You captivate that thought and think, how does this honor him and how does it not? Is this truly displaying what it looks like for me not to have lack in him? Or am I living from a place of lacking because I'm succumbing to something that my flesh desires that really is not going to satisfy me after I walk down that rabbit trail? Emmanuel, God with us. The hope and our joy here today. Let's stand. Jesus, thank you for your joy. Thank you for your promises and for your endurance. Thank you for your patience with us in our lives. Thank you for your, your long-suffering that you've, that you've gone through. Thank you for giving great representation from the Old Testament all the way through through the New Testament of what it was like for people to try and strive to do things on their own and fail and fail and fail. Thank you that we have expressions in the New Testament of people trying to do the right thing but also failing in that and that there is a need for the body to be together. There's a need for us to, to commune with you. There's a need for us to be reminded of the weightiness of sin if we continue down the road and that, Lord, that you've given us the great mercy, the great grace to have freedom in you. So thank you, God, that we can have joy in the midst of our transformation. We can have joy in the midst of trials. We can have joy in the midst of great moments, that we can have joy in our lives because you reign on the throne. You are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. There is none like you. There's none beside you. And so, Lord, let us be like Mary this morning and, and give you our yes completely, that your will would be done in our lives. Regardless of the, of the accusations of man and the, the uh, discomfort that could, be, that could come from saying yes to you, Lord, we still say yes to you. And so, Lord, we want to honor you in the same ways. So give us grace so that we can do that because we want to do it well. Give us a heart of compassion and love for other people as we walk through the rest of the season that we can have joy set before us and that the hope of your presence in our lives and the hope of your return is something that we can hold on to with great expectation knowing that you're here with us and you're also coming. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a wonderful, wonderful week.